0: That's linkedin.com slash MPN. Terms and conditions apply. in an attempt to uncover all the ways influence impacts how and what we discover, purchase, and recommend to each other.
1: Wow. And where can people subscribe?
0: Go to theartofswaypodcast.com, find the show at marketingpodcasts.net, or search for The Art of Sway wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You heard her. Go subscribe.
2: Welcome to The Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. We are back live on the making of a marketer. Very excited today for our next edition of our influencer series with Harrison Wheeler. Uh Harrison, a senior design manager at LinkedIn and doubles as the host of Technically Speaking podcasts. We are very, very excited to have you here today, Harrison.
1: Hey, Andy, thanks so much for the introduction. And, and Jess, thank you for have me on the show. Great to be with both of you all today. I'm extremely excited about this
2: discussion. Definitely. And we have been getting some just fabulous response from our first episodes we've done of this series. So if you're just catching up with the making of a marketer, if you've been listening, it's your first time on this series, or, you know, you're just new entirely to the show, what we've been doing is when going around the world of LinkedIn, um, from personal, personal brands, creators, and kind of unlocking their Treasure chest of creativity. So I know just you've learned a lot, I've learned a lot. So um, our theme today is really figuring out how to unlock multiple hats of creativity. Because as we said, Harrison, you're not only a employee at LinkedIn doing fabulous work on the design front, but you started a podcast in 2020 and have mastered that side of it as well. So I think it kind of really relates to what Justin and I are trying to do is take some of our expertise that's directly related to our field and you know, try and do something that is a little different as well and sprinkle in some of our personality.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like I actually see a few parallels between my podcast with this, right? As you mentioned. So uh yeah, let's let's get into it.
2: So first questions first, what we ask all of our guests right out of the gate is it's 2023. We know that there is a lot going on in the tech industry right now. You know, we're pivoting, we're changing budgets, we're changing strategies, we're trying to stay creative and stay on top of our game. But yourself in the design field. You know, creativity so big all the time. How do you get yourself unstuck creatively in 2023? Yeah. Well, look, I, I
1: think one of the one of the pieces that you know I can kind of take out of that is that there's a lot of transition and transformation happening. And it is probably as ripe of a time as ever to be influenced creatively, right? Um, you know, I think being able to work from home or work hybrid, um, you know, thinking about new industry, the advent of new industries and new technologies. those are this is a really exciting time to start to apply new ideas to those. I think it's a great time to find opportunities to just dis- to disrupt um, And so I think for me, my mind's moving in a thousand different directions, right in terms of being uh, in terms of being creative. Uh, I think on the flip side of that is like, you know, how to not get yourself into creative exhaustion, right? And because I think there's a lot of stimulus out there. And I think it can be a lot, especially for me, if, if right now, like I have a gazillion ideas in my head, but I also know that it can be extremely tiring, um, you know, if I try to focus on all of those things at one time. And so, um, you know, pick something that, you know, you're really curious and you're really passionate about and really try to dig into it. That would be my advice. Um, you know, I was actually presenting to some students, uh, a few, few weeks ago, and we kind of talked about, you know, energy and I think energy is really important, right? And so, um, you know, I've generally found that technically speaking has been a creative outlook of sorts for me, right? And so make the space outside of your day-to-day to to create, (laughs) uh, I think that's a really important piece to have. And, you know, I, I almost kind of, I, I spoke that and I related it to a personal experience because there was a point in my career was that where I was creatively burnt out. And so the thing that really brought me joy was creating, but I just didn't have the energy for it. Right. So, you know, try to make sure number one, that you have the space to create, that you have the space to also recharge but then also make the space to you know exercise that creativity in, in small, in small, in small batches, right? Because we know small batches add up to something big in the long
3: term. Harrison, I love everything that you just said. You touched on a few points. So this idea of trying to unlock your creativity at home. Is yeah. there anything that you've done with your space to lean into like the at home work?
1: Yeah, for, for sure. Um, I mean, this is, this is my creative space right here. Um, I'm always trying to figure out more ideas to build, uh, you know, more for it to really kind of, you know, be mine. Um, and so like behind you kind of see that I've got some of my favorite books. I've got, you know, different articles of inspiration on this wall. You can't see it right now, but I have a couple of motivational quotes, uh, in front of me, I also have some some work from a dear friend that I've had commissioned and some of his just general work. So and, and then on this this left side, I have like a vision board. Um, and so, you know, I may not necessarily be contributing to that all the time, but, you know, being able to, to look at that, it actually reminds me of even just my personal thinking. And, you know, it creates sort of artifacts for maybe something that, you know, I thought about in the past that I might be able to pick up in the future.
2: I love that, Harrison, because that's something I will admit that I used to do something not quite as fancy as you're doing. It was more of a notebook with like random drawings that probably look like they're in code to somebody else. But yeah. I used to get creative late at night and I would write things down in the notebook. And actually, yeah. some of my greatest social media campaigns came from not being able to sleep at 1 a.m. in the morning. And I put yeah. them down and I took them into action later on. So I would really surround yeah. myself. I'm guilty for not doing that anymore. So I, I like now, this.
1: You know, look, there's, I, I love that you actually brought that up. I've had this discussion with many people at many different different times. And they probably, some of the responses were like, man, you're crazy. Um, but I love that because creativity isn't necessarily going to happen in a room, right? Like, it can come to you in the middle of the night, come to you while you're driving. Uh, it can come to you while you're on a walk. Uh I come to you when you're in a shower. I'm sure plenty, plenty of folks listening in have done this, um, and so it's almost like for me, it's like what are like based on yours. Like, what are the different surfaces that if you have ideas that you can capture that? So sometimes, you know, I might be in the in the bed. I might just literally write some a note down in my phone, and I'll reference that later, right? I can actually capture that on a computer. Sometimes if I'm driving, hands free if there's something that comes to mind, I will actually do dictation as a note. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and for you, you might have a notebook in that specific point in time, right? So as long as you're capturing these things, right? Like you can always come back and relate to those. And I love notebooks because I remember one time I was actually uh, cleaning out, uh, I was getting ready to move and I was actually cleaning out one of my storage bins. And um, sometimes you need a reminder, of like, yo, you can do this. Like, I saw notes from like ten years ago, just going through these product ideas, and I was like, yo, there's something there.
2: I love it. I know. I I have this like dusty like bin that it's like old work stuff from 2013. I, I need to dust it off. So I look at it because I know there's some gems in there. You know, yeah. laying you know behind all the dust somewhere. So that's a that's I love that. I think it's always good to, especially on a throwback Thursday, like today, um, it's always good to go back and take a a look at some of our greatest hits. But your greatest hits, Harrison, I know that your design work, like all of us in our journeys before LinkedIn started somewhere. So tell us about what you did in your career to get where you're at today and maybe a little bit about what you're doing at LinkedIn.
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a it's amalgamation of so many different things, right? And that's why I think it's important for anybody that's listening to this to really, you know, always reference your past, because I think it shows you what you're capable of, Um, specifically when you're younger, right? You really don't have as many barriers or influences in terms of what you can and what you can't do. Um, And so for me, it you know, my journey starts very early. Um, It wasn't the best of circumstances, but... um, you know, someone actually had broken into our house and uh, a computer was donated. And so that's where I learned how to code. So learning how to code with 56K modem access in, I think, like 1996 or 1998, it really, I, I don't remember the, the exact time, but you can imagine Yahoo GeoCities was where I learned to code. Then that moved into MySpace, um, you know, lover video games. I used to crack all of the the the, all of the software back in the day so I could customize it. Um, And, uh, you know, when I went to school, I actually went to school. I got recruited to play football. And so athletics was a really big part of, you know, my early life. Um, But there was a point that like something, you know, the urge of getting back into design really hit me. And when I was at the University of Iowa, all the computers had Adobe Photoshop. So I would sit on the computer for hours learning photoshop and so at this point i started working at a marketing company that built for on-campus clients that was the moment where it really struck me putting code and design together to make something that functioned now you know at that point i was like the possibilities are endless Um, i was working in music promotion i ran for student government and I started taking this lens of like, you can actually apply design in, into a ton of different things and it can be really transformational. And so I really kind of carried that um, throughout. So, you know, I think one of the pieces was like when the market was was would crash back in 2008, you had to really get scrappy and, and figure out ways to make it work. And that was something that I could honestly make money. And so I started freelancing. That grew over time. And then eventually I wanted to move more in-house. The reason I wanted to move more in-house is because UX, like this was a brand new thing, right? This is around the time the iPhone came out, the mobile web was making a shift. We're starting to talk about apps, kind of similar to right now. There's a lot of disruption, a lot of opportunity to start to to apply that creative lens. Um, And so with that being said, it really just kind of grew from there. I started thinking about, okay, if we can have this impact, you know on a on a team level what does it look like when we start to align a whole organization really focusing on the user thinking about design in terms of the products that are shipped and that's really evolve over time right coming into linkedin career wise i saw for me an opportunity to learn from some really great people doing amazing work and and grow as a manager but then also understand the impact of what does this look like for our more than 900 million members, right? What does this look like for our our ads business or campaign manager? And then what does this look like within a design organization? How can we build that up? And so, um, you know, all that being said, moving from, you know, a freelancer to, uh, you know, an individual contributor to a manager, design has always been at the center of it. Creativity and how to approach these different challenges have always been at the center of it.
2: I really like Harrison, you hitting on all of the different stages that you've worked up to, to this part of your career. Sometimes I'll get asked about, you know, where have you seen the best examples in social media? So, sure. you know, building campaigns from scratch, being scrappy, you know, there are some big ones happening with fortune 500 companies that are all over the place and are fabulous. But if you ask me personally. I'll tell you that hey, I've been involved in some of these campaigns. I've had these large budgets. And I'll say that I've been involved in some of these campaigns that you probably never have heard about that yeah. were done at freelance or early career levels where people are absolutely out there making plays. And I think yeah. that's great for someone like that to hear, you know, especially for myself being a newcomer at LinkedIn. There's so much of that world that is still, in my opinion, my world in social media. And it sounds like how you describe it, working up into a management level and design at LinkedIn, it's still something that really is a fabrication of what you're doing now.
1: A hundred percent, right? I mean, one part that I had left out is that I actually used to work in the marketing department uh, around technology devices. So, you know, understanding what that process, we actually worked with Apple quite a bit. So understanding how product announcements happen and the communication stream that comes through that really also allows me to think of that to this day, right? And this is a job that I had back when I think I was like, what, 22.
2: So let's talk about this, uh, marketing and design. So getting more into the weeds right here, how do you feel sure. like marketing borrows from design discipline and how could both of these functions really start to work together more efficiently?
1: Yeah, well, I think both are interrelated. Um, actually, at the previous company that I worked at, I managed designers on both the marketing and the product design side. Um, and I, you know, I, I think part of it, really, I would kind of go back to like what is the narrative that you're you're trying to tell, right? If we were to take sort of like a macro view of like your your product, right? Like or, or your your business, right? What is the narrative that you're trying to tell, and does that reflect itself from you know, someone landing on your marketing experience to the actual product. And there's a there's a lot of different things that go into that, right? Like there's brand, right? Um, you know, and then there's also sort of the voice, like, is that voice consistent? Are some of the ethos that we're seeing on the marketing side, is that persistent actually in the, the user experience? And so I think they're all interrelated. Uh, this is probably a little bit more controversial, but I mean, at the center of it all is design and we should have a lens and and we should try to build ownership around it. Now, maybe we're not working specifically on the marketing website or maybe we're not working on a feature. We should always be trying to come together to understand how these parts play a role. We ultimately understand that this does come together or does have an impact or interdependency when it comes to product launches, right? And so, you know, I think there is also just an opportunity uh, earlier. Now, organizations are totally different. Um, I know every each organization has a different sort of approach to this. Um, but I think as we start moving into this world where we're starting to see more specialization and distinction in the importance of this in terms of roles, such as you know operations, right? Uh, when we start thinking about things such as uh, content writing or UX writing, right? There's a really close bridge to that. And so, you know, even thinking about support, like all of these things, think about this, like you basically are going to have like this flywheel of a journey of somebody, right? So if we're starting to think about, you know, someone top of the funnel, right? Like they're going to potentially be landing on your marketing website, right? Maybe mid-funnel, they're talking to sales, right? We want to make sure that that narrative is consistent, And once they get into the actual experience, I think it's important that those expectations that were set early on, we're we're delivering that promise there. And so when we think about the continued success, that's where support and help comes in. And so I think all of that plays a really important role if we start really taking a, a sort of look at that full journey.
3: Yeah, and what I love about what you just said, and I want to double down on, we always talk about the need for this marketing and sales alignment because your sales team is communicating your marketing story, your marketing brand. But just based on what you said, it's like the marketing and design alignment is also very key because your marketers are communicating the design experience. So
2: love it. Yeah.
1: Go
3: ahead.
2: Go ahead. Oh, so a small thing I'll add to that too is I think just learning the different levels of marketing, sales, design, like nobody's going to be an expert, in like 38 different categories, no. but do a LinkedIn learning on basic Photoshop. If you're in design, do a LinkedIn learning on basic social media strategy. If you're in either and you're trying to learn sales, a basic learning in and, and sales, like that kind of education and not only learning from there, but once I take the lessons I take from there and I apply it to what I hear people say that are around me, it helps me just kind of wow. understand where I can wiggle in and, and make an impact.
1: Exactly. Right. And and look, I I, I was I was having this uh, discussion with someone else. I, I laugh at this because, you know, at one point I was hiring, uh, you know, some, some new grad designers. And, you know, I said, hey, look, like, I don't think this is my previous company. I was like, I don't think designers are going through school and graduating thinking that they're going to work at a CRM company. Right. Um, And, you know, that's not to say anything about the CRM company. There's a lot of amazing things that you can do in that space to really be disruptive. But, you know, I, I think the way that we should be thinking about things as practitioners, there are hundreds of possibilities of intersection of your core skills. With different industries and so learning is always going to be a very critical component in developing a pov once you start to get those once you start to you know understand those types of things is going to be really important for you because now you can say hey you know what here's my pov on this let's discuss right so you can imagine what how powerful that can be with different functional partners right just to your point there's a gazillion different things in the process but the way for us to really successfully get there is a form of collaboration, having POVs, learning from it, putting it out there, learning from it again, right? We're talking about really kind of like the, the essence of, of, you know, of a design process.
2: And something what, what just and I do as content solutions consultants, we are counterparts in the same you know, team, but we work on very, very different accounts. You know, different, yeah. uh, different uh, marketing sectors. And there's certain things that just puts out that I find extremely interesting that have no relation to the vertical I work in, but I still take away certain design aspects and certain yeah. strategies and bring it to mine, and vice versa. Is where I think people can get really, really well rounded, especially when you're talking B two B products, because. Um, there's been a lot of times I've had to help different companies, and you know, if I work for this company and I had to write about them, I would have to crash course, it'd probably take me months to fully learn what they are. So, yeah. it's not like what you're saying, like we're in school, you know. It, it, I was trying to be a radio host when I was in school to be Ryan Seacrest, but that's be like the equivalent would be like, Hey, I'm gonna go do social media or like marketing for Coca Cola, but that's not the case for most of us, as we have to learn that. And which right. leads me into this question here is when we're talking design strategy, we're talking products, what mm. is your advice, and we might have touched on this a little bit already to really bridge the gap between that brand design strategy and then mm. also fulfilling the po- product request?
1: Yeah. This is something that I've been really passionate about, you know over the past you know quarter or two. Um, but I've started to really see the importance of like narrative. Um, and narrative is, uh, really important because, you know, to your point, working with a ton of different people, they're going to have their own motivations, right? They're going to have their own perspectives, which by the way, is normal for any sort of high functioning organization. Um, and a narrative can really be a unifying artifact in that discussion, right? So having something that's clear, that folks understand, that's aligned to the business, that's also aligned to the mission of whatever you're trying to achieve in that point is going to be extremely important. I say that narrative is probably one of the most inclusive things that you can do because it can start to engage a discussion with multiple players in the room with different
2: lenses. So let's switch gears here and we are going to take it to Harrison, the personal brand. So we've got to like stop all our, our mojo here. Make sure that we plug your podcast. Technically speaking, it's been going on a couple of years now. So tell us about the yeah. motivation, the mission, what you're doing, and and probably yeah. most importantly, how can our users find you and listen to you?
1: Sure. What's wild is like I think, I think I yo, this actually is crazy. I actually think like this week is the three year anniversary of the podcast. Which is, which is wild. And I actually started, actually started recording on LinkedIn early days of LinkedIn Live. So, um, really, really great to reflect on that. Um, you know, in terms of its origins, I think for me, you know, I kind of told you about my story. And, and a lot of times, you know, it was kind of difficult to really not see anybody that looked like me having a ton of perspectives on design, right? think there's, you know, I think we can have discussions around mentorship, right? But I think in 2023, uh, there are many ways to engage in opportunities for learning. And so for me, um, I thought this was a missing piece in the industry. I thought there was a ton of opportunity to really elevate, you know, BIPOC designers. But I think specifically when we start thinking about early on, we were talking about the similarities. One of the pieces that I really wanted to touch on was like, the why behind the decisions, right? One of the things that I always, you know, I always give to designers in terms of feedback is talking about the why behind their design decisions. But I think it's important to also talk about the why behind people's personal journeys. And so it's been really fascinating being able to dive into that. Um, The first season, we really focused on UX design as well as research, but I've also expanded that to, you know, areas of entrepreneurship, you know, larger larger sectors within the technology industry and of course design so it's been really fun evolving that it's been really fun just seeing the engagement of the community and speaking of you know one of my my big missions at least for this like next year is to start building more opportunities for people to meet in real life and so um, last year uh, I hosted two two meetups for the first time so one in Oakland and one in Brooklyn New York. And, you know, it was honestly just really inspiring because I think one of the things that, you know, when you're working remote and you're, you, you know, in the middle of COVID and you launch a podcast, I don't think you understand like the impact and the reach. So going to some of these locations for the first time, not even living there and having people literally come from like Long Island of to Brooklyn to, to just be there, I think for me was just, you know, really, really gratifying uh, and humbling. Because it just has played such an important role for people, so um, you know, hoping to really grow that. And uh, you know, this this past month, we 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 reached our fiftieth episode. So, I mean, I know, I know for you all, just kicking off fifty is a pretty big mi- milestone. Um, and so, yeah, just just a ton of ton of amazing work that's that's really kind of gone into it.
2: So when we look at the personal branding side of this, Harrison, so excellent start to kick off a podcast to hit three years, but also with it, there is a piece of you that has to to promote this as, you know, a new podcast Mm. has to stay consistent with it. It has to ensure that you're getting your voice and your cause out there you yeah. know, wide enough to be able to have something such as a meetup. So, sure. you know, one of the things we are trying to figure out as we start to get this thing started is what tools can influencers and creators use to kind of start to design this approach, whether it's, you know, your, your brand or maybe it's the yeah. podcast itself, the tools involved that can assist getting you from A to Z. Sure. Well, look,
1: I'm I'm going to plug LinkedIn. Um, I think LinkedIn plays an integral role role. Uh, and for folks that have been following LinkedIn closely, you know, we've been investing a ton of, of thought and, and, you know, experiences into building more tools for creators. Right. And so, you know, I I think number one, especially in the professional sense, I think LinkedIn is the place to be. Right. Um, There are a ton of folks uh, in the industry that, you know, are really, hungry for this type of, of information and content. So that's number one. Um, You know, I I think with that being said, there's a, there's a number of offerings, right? Events, whether it be audio or video like this, the newsletters, which I found having a ton of engagement um, and also, you know, pages now, you know, I appreciate the pages piece. um, But I think like, if we kind of take a step back, right. I think for creators, sort of like figuring out where your audience is, right? Like, where is it, where are they? Um, and so for me, I kind of taken a step back a little bit further. So, you know, there's a ton of tools out there, there's a ton of platforms. I had to basically say, you know what, like which platforms am I gonna double down on, right? And so for me, that has really been like Instagram and and LinkedIn. Now that might change, right? Like things are always moving, And, and so with that being said, this is where, this is where it starts to get interesting, right? Um, You know, I think moving in again into sort of 2023 and and beyond, uh, we're starting to just kind of see the advent of like these micro communities. Um, And so, um, and I think like, I think there's a level of resilience that I think like creators want to have, right? We've seen algorithm changes across, you know, Pretty big algorithm changes across Twitter as well as Instagram. And so how do we start to protect against that? And so I think one of one of the tools that I've used is Substack. I have a huge just kind of audience there. Um, and a lot of my approach to that is very similar to what I do on LinkedIn. So that's where I kind of have my articles. Um and and that that email list actually kind of stemmed from my original email list. So that's kind of where I moved it from because I was using tools like MailChimp before. I don't have that much time. And so Substack has just been super easy, cross-posting. Now, if we start getting into my stack, maybe we can start from a stack, right? Um and and as sort of like uh um, you know, a creator uh or a marketer, um there's this one thought that I had on my mind is like kind of outsourcing things, right? Or reducing the level of of input on it. And so my stack kind of uh, has a a couple of different things. So um, I, for one, love contractors. So Upwork is a huge part of what drives success for me. Um, And that's hiring freelancers to work on video and audio. Um, My other piece is that I use Webflow um, and Webflow has been really important for me. So Webflow is basically what I what I put my website platform on. And so that allows me to store all of my podcasts, right? I've moved all my articles to that single source. Uh, and then additionally, when it comes to being able to monetize, that's actually where I have my store. And so for people that are listening, if you'd like a, a Technically Speaking swag, you can go to technicallyspeakinghw.com and you can buy one of the beautiful mugs, uh, bags or stickers um, and it makes it just really easy. It's all integrated there um, and it allows me to move fast. So if I have an idea, I can easily put something together without ever touching code. And I can also start filtering different things in between. So, um, you know, even in terms of like my guest management, a lot of that is handled through Airtable and there's some automation that I've built in with that as well. So. Um, you know, there's a lot, we actually probably go on super deep with that. Um, You know, even in terms of just like, um, you know, media, I use a combination between like Canva as well as Figma, uh, because you can also import a lot of your brand assets there. Um, And so that's really kind of made things really easy, flexible, where I can do things on the go. Um, I like to plug this like example wise of how powerful these things are, right? Like back in the day when I was like, coding websites. There was actually a lot involved with that, especially building like a WordPress theme. I used to build those from scratch. Those would take forever. And so, you know, I was in Europe, uh, you know, earlier this year and there was a 12 hour flight back. I was able to actually build my website and have a functioning shop in order by the time I landed and I made my first order within like a day and more than $300 worth of of movement within a week and a half. So really powerful to really have an idea, put it into action. Uh, And I wanna share that with you all because I think a lot of folks have like these ideas of what they wanna do and they feel like it's a lot of work. It does take some work to get started, um, but the tools are there. Um, And so I encourage anybody that just, you know, is on the edge teetering about it. There's just so many different ways to express yourself And you don't need to be hitting like, you know, 20,000 followers or a million followers. You can do this with a small engaged community, but just start somewhere. You got to start somewhere. Start with LinkedIn, start posting because there's somebody out there that is looking for that information and that expertise that you have.
2: So Jess, one thing that Harrison made a great suggestion about, I've thought about a little bit in the past, is the email side, the newsletter side of it. But I have to admit, Harrison, and you talk about this on one of your tips about trying to be perfect, is just yeah. when I send out emails, and I have to send out to an email list, WordPress websites, edit button, social media, edit button, emails, when I send it out wrong to hundreds of people, there's no edit button. So just. You will definitely be having to QA every single thing I would do if we did the email list because I am 90% accurate, but it's one of those things when I used to do email that I would get so nervous about it that I would make more errors because I would be triple, quadruple, quadruple checking and I wouldn't see it because I was nervous Mm. about it. That was like my one marketing crux, but I think we could overcome some fears here.
1: Yeah, look, I, I I actually had a thought about this the other day, uh, and maybe this is like a, a case study, right? I'm a, I'm an avid user of Grammarly, right? And I've always used Grammarly as some sort of approach to edit, specifically around short form content, um, and most recently with Chat GPT, um, that's actually kind of streamlined my process for short form content, right? And so, like for your situation. You might write out that paragraph and put it into chat gpt and prompt it for editing um and that makes life a lot easier because you can focus on the things that you know you want to do so i think you read you read my tips right again it's like outsource the things that like you're not good at and so i'm not saying have chat gpt write it have origins of what you want because i think this is a marketing podcast right i think brand and voice is extremely important and we need to make sure that that shines through But now I think there's a lot more tools that have advanced to really help us do our work even better.
3: That's what I was going to say. My takeaways would be from what Harrison is saying for all the marketers out there. One, start thinking about newsletters. And Andy, this is something that could be a baby step for us, like get into the LinkedIn newsletter game. I think that's a great way to start. And then um, also to just asking why, like always bringing it back to why. So like, why are you doing this for your customers? Why, like, why are you inspired to create and share your voice in this way?
2: Yeah. And potentially stupid question with LinkedIn newsletters, there is an edit button, correct?
1: Yes, (laughs) There, (laughs) there is an edit button. Yes.
2: Yes. All right. There's an edit button. We'll be able to make the magic happen unless somebody sees it in like 0.20 seconds after I hit go, because that's usually right when I see it. Um, Harrison, I got one last question for you. Uh, I know that we're probably a little bit over time and this has been an amazing interview. We've learned a lot, learned a lot about you and just podcasting personal branding. These are tips that not only us, but our audience, I know, will be very, very Uh, thankful to receive, but One thing we definitely have to hit on is you're doing a lot of things. So you're named to the ADP list, 100 most impactful mentors of 2022. First off, huge congratulations. Thank you. You're building considerable ground right now as a personal brand. You are a manager at LinkedIn. You're doing all these things. You talked about some of the tools you use, but how do you juggle all of it and stay efficient with your work on all fronts?
1: Yeah. That's a really good question. Uh, and I think outsourcing is important, but I think it's important to know getting the things up to, you know, there's a lot of work actually getting things started, right? So in terms of audience, I didn't exactly start from zero, right? Like I've had an, aud- an a somewhat engaged audience for maybe a decade. And so moving them onto a platform like Substack was actually pretty light. But if we start thinking about that path to, Uh, where I'm at today in terms of like the podcast, um, you know, one of the pieces that I did that I didn't get into here is like, when I set out, I actually phased it. I did a phased approach. And so the first phase was just getting something up there and it was really rough. And then I said, you know what, let me focus on getting the production down. And I realized I can't handle video and audio. And so I focused strictly on audio. And then I was like, you know what? I want to get the audio right. So that whole process took about a year. Okay. Then I was like, I want to get the production right. So I worked with an external company to get that done. And so they did a lot of the editing. They wrote all of the show notes. uh, And they actually put things into the release schedule. So I actually was really hands-off in that regard. Um, And then I actually did not launch a functioning full website until last year. Um, and so you don't have to do everything at once. Um, you know, I think at the center of this, I'll tell you this, like, I, I don't spend a ton of time on the podcast. In fact, like, you know, my fiance would probably like be extremely angry with me if I wouldn't, if I was doing work and then I was working on things right after. So I make sure that like, I build in enough time where, you know, I can do what I want to do where I'm not, I'm not working. Okay, Um, and so I would even kind of step back. How is this all related? So, look, I think, uh, you know, as we start talking about the creator side of things, I actually think being a creator is like probably the next step in terms of like how you show yourself professionally. Like I I strongly believe this because I think in a world where we're not as connected, it's a way to connect people and, and have people understand what's happening in your professional life. Understand your POV and some of the the subjects or you know topics that are happening are top of mind for people, um, and you know I think it's a great opportunity to just expand your network. All right, so I think all these things are creative, right. We talk about like how can a lot of designers actually come to me like how can we stand out right? It's a very really competitive market out there. So number one, I think having a website is important because that's a landing page for people to be able to understand a little bit more about you. I understand a little bit more about the design work that you've done. Um, but I think also being able to have content out there, I'm not saying you need to be doing this like every single day, but I think flexing that muscle to a new audience gives you an idea to connect with other people. One of the pieces that I really appreciate about my podcast, like hosting a podcast is one thing, but meeting all these people with different perspectives, I'm learning from them. It has actually been a a huge tool for me to learn, Um, you know, having even sort of like mentors teach me about situations that they've been in. I've developed relationships from this. Right. And a lot of that is extremely professional. I've got some folks that are good friends as well now from it. But all of this really plays an impact in terms of, I think, also being able to level up in whatever you're passionate about. And so um, I think for me, that's probably where, where maybe why I probably lean into this a little bit more. Um, and, you know, I encourage everyone to try it out. Um, you know, I think you are more, you're more than enough empowered to say, you know what, this is too much for me. And I think I've also taken that lens. Like with anything that I do, I test it out. Is it going to work if it isn't? And so, you know, I've been doing some of the meetups. I've, I've had plenty of ideas of how we can do these meetups, but I've also been like, you know, what, that's too much. So, um, you know, I would say just take a discerning eye to anything that, you know, you're doing, make sure that your personal life and your professional life aren't being jeopardized. Um, and you don't have to hit a home run right away. I
2: love it. Harrison Wheeler, senior design manager at LinkedIn, host <laughs> of Technically Speaking. It was a pleasure yeah. having you today. We uh, as you just said, we've learned so much just from doing this podcast from the guests on this podcast and yourself, you living our world right now, you know, much further along your podcast journey. Like there's so much that we can take away, but what I think is at the yeah, you know, the the real comparison, you know, the, the real similarities that we have here in the work we're doing is I feel like we're doing it out of the goodness of what we want to do, what yeah. we want to accomplish and, and really bring out the best of the creative side of marketing and design. So this was a, an exceptional uh, interview and we'll definitely be listening to your podcast as you go forward.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me on Andy and Jess. This was really fun. Well, thanks
3: Harrison. Thank
1: All you. right. Have a good one.
2: All right, Jess, so that was a mic drop, wonderful conversation. There is so many things to take away. And, you know, one, I, I will start on this piece when you do listen to his podcast, technically speaking, the way that he interviews guests and how he gets the most out of them and just a natural, comfortable setting is something for me is I look to try to develop in this world more. We didn't touch on this a lot in this interview, but so natural so fluid. He brings out so much from everybody he's around. Even us today, I felt like he brought out a lot of, you know, fun personality with us, just an excellent person on air. And I love to hear his background story because it just makes it all the better.
3: Yes, a 100% agree. And I totally noticed that too, with his podcast. And that's really where I think his UX and design background, are leveraged and come into play because he, what I notice is he's very curious and he's always, he's trying to get into like the, the human, the, the human emotion, the human behavior behind it all. So he's asking a lot of follow-ups or something, or he makes an observation and he's asking, Oh, well why, you know, why do you feel this way? Or, or why did you do this? And I, yeah, I couldn't agree more with your observation from listening to technically speaking.
2: And another part that I cracked up about, I'm going to make agencies hate me when I say this and so don't mm-hmm. listen agencies is how he talked about designing a website on a flight home. So if you t- it's still happening because there's sites out there that are full WordPress. They're, you know, a custom template. There's all kinds of things happening. But there's also websites where people are making them pretty close to just as good, if not better, yeah. on their own. And agencies are able to rack up a million dollars, you know, building out websites. And it's so interesting. It brings up a really good point, though, that it's gotten so much easier in this world we work in. And it's something that I have to really challenge myself to catch up on. Because for me... I can go into a WordPress, change pages. I can put themes on it. I could not build a website on WordPress from scratch. But some of this new stuff out here, it's gotten a lot easier. And they're not those old clunky websites like we used to see. When you think building websites yourself, I think about like 10 years ago and they would be marked up with ads all over them. They wouldn't be that functional. You couldn't get indexed on Google. Like it's just things have changed quite a bit.
3: Definitely. And again, this is going back to something we have touched on time and time again, this idea of testing and learning and just getting started. I think we have heard this from every influencer across this series, that if you wait until it's perfect, you're never going to get going. So like yeah. this idea that you don't have to have everything in this perfect state and I feel like designers have this ability all the time. Like they're 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 continuing to design iterate, but they're getting their their products, they're getting their designs out there in the world so people can react and they can go through that design cycle.
2: The big thing I think that we could bridge this to one day is we hear it from the personal brand side. I think LinkedIn as a company, really empowers us to go do things and take ownership and, and strive to test and, and push boundaries. But I would love to hear it from somebody at a very large you know, corporate level company about just trying things. And that's a lot of times where we find that they struggle is because there's so much red tape. There's so much that has to be perfect. There's so much Disney productions, I like to call it, on a really expensive video and editing that it's so far away from the mentality. I think it's hard just to start. And that's where I would be curious to to talk to someone maybe in that world, what would it take for brands to start? Because there are some out there that will, but I would say there's still like big companies, nine out of 10 of them are gonna be very buttoned up and it has to be a certain way before they'll even run a social media ad out there.
3: Well, you know my views on this. I, am, I I would say, you know, push yourself, get uncomfortable because how are you going to learn? How are you going to iterate? How are you going to improve if you don't have anything out there? Or again, if you're, or if you're waiting for it to be a very specific way.
2: Yeah. And that's the only way, I mean, you test and learn, you know, you know everything, is a test to a certain extent and so I I get asked this question sometimes by people I work or I've worked with are looking to get into the industry or grow and learn new things so ask is there a certification to get into digital marketing or social media my answer will be yes and then my second answer will be it doesn't hurt my third answer will be is that you need to be able to do something else outside of the certification so if you're like just getting involved freelance, like Harrison said, there is no more powerful tool in my probably early-ish middle of career than working on projects that have absolutely no red tape associated with it. So when you think freelance, you know, you know, you have a friend of a friend who runs a photography business due to social media. You have a friend of a friend who owns a hair salon, and they need, you know, someone to do design and and model for them, or whatever it may be, or take pictures, right? Anything that's like around, you know, these types of marketing tools, all of it is just reps after reps after reps. So I think you have to combine with like, what is the learnings right now? And what are the certifications right now? But how can you just test and you can test and try things without there being all kinds of, you know, money and big companies and high stakes attached to it.
3: And and one of the misconceptions we hear time and time again, from the creativity piece, or this idea of being creative is that we have to have the ideas, like, our, we're the ones that are filled with all the ideas. In actuality, it's your customers, it's the people yep. that you're interacting with. It's the people that you're designing for. They have the ideas. So get it out there. Because again, that is the way to improve your product, your service, your brand, your marketing campaign, Mm -hmm. all of it.
2: So that's something that I've changed lately when I do workshops with customers is I might show, we'll just say it's a a 38 slide deck and there's like 16 different examples in there. So what I'm going to tell them is right out of the gate that don't try to do all 16 things that are in these slides. It's like you'll drive yourself nuts trying to do that. My goal is to show you what's out there and what's being tested right now. And if you could take one thing away from this presentation, you don't need to like memorize all 38 slides. If you can take one thing away that you learned, then I think that there was a great value to what we did today.
3: Absolutely. And I'm happy, Andy, that you got it down to 38 slides.
2: Yes. Keep, uh, keep cutting. It's, it's some work. So we <laughs> used so we used to have a class in school. So this was a journalism class. It's near and dear to my heart. Uh Professor Cooper, um, she is working in the Northeast somewhere. She used to be at Sam Houston State. Um, great, uh, great, great teacher. But what we did in the class, it was about it was a writing class. And we would be given like excerpts from an article and we'd be given headlines and we would be asked to shorten those down, sometimes like 75, or like 90 percent. It'd be like, how can you tell the same story in less words? And we'd be doing it over and over and over again, especially with headlines. But I've tried to apply that to presenting as well. Sometimes, you know, you have to make the judgment call of am I cutting to the point where it doesn't make sense anymore. And sometimes that line can get very narrow, but that's something that I always try to do. You know, we talk newsletters too, you know, once we do that. Um, how can we get the same message across and, and make it shorter? You know, with the same value. We're talking about putting an intro. It's debuting on this episode. We first started off had a longer cut. We just, you were like, let's make it a little bit trimmed because we don't need as much of this fluff in here. So there's like always that in my mind is, is can we get the same message and not convolute it too much?
3: Yes, and on that point. I would be remiss to not cover on what Harrison was also talking about too, around this marketing and design intersection. I, I think you really highlighted so many synergies between both functions, but he talked about the importance of a narrative. And to mm-hmm. me, you know, narrative is a story. So now you're talking about it too. We talk about storytelling all the time, like from a marketing perspective and how important it is so agree like it's always besides focusing just on your customer always thinking about then what is the story what is the story that's going to resonate with them so storytelling is so huge and now I see even more thanks to Harrison that's huge between design and marketing
2: I call that real life presentations <laughs> like that's my andyism for this It's like how do we take something that's X's and O's and make it, you know, a narrative. And it it definitely makes sense. It comes from someone like Harrison with a very strong design background to think of it creatively. You know, we see so many lenses when it comes to digital media. Like, and I think, I think they're all correct. It's just finding that right balance of them. I go into my presentations. How do I teach something philosophically psychologically x's and o's like talking about the the paid side and more of the you know really direct hard data like how does it does it all come together but i think narrative is a great example because it's real life and it brings all these facets together in what you're trying to talk about
3: yes and in a creative tip one way in which you can push yourself and and try to really tap into the visual storytelling aspect is to Give a presentation or build slides where there are no words on the slides, where you're just using visuals and see how effective your story becomes and how your story resonates with the people that you're presenting it to.
2: You know who I would put on my slide right now with nothing else on it to describe oh, this podcast? Oh, I know. You, know. you know who I'd put on there? Yes. So, you know we're going to get back to this. So it's, it's Tom Anderson, Tom from MySpace. So if you tuned into the podcast last week, you heard this, but if you haven't, we'll catch you up. So Jess and I have set a goal for this podcast during its lifetime, however long that may be, that our ultimate guest is get Tom Anderson, Tom from MySpace. We have so many questions for him. He does excellent photography. Is he going to be the next CEO of Twitter? So many questions for him, but we, he cannot be found. So. I am crafting my message to him. We're going to start big. we talk about just going for it on this podcast. So tomorrow, Jess, I'm writing my message to him. I'm going to send it to you. The only place I know where to find him is on Instagram and Twitter. So we're going to start with Instagram. We're going to direct message him. And then we're going to see what goes from what, what happens from there.
3: What a segue, Andy. That was that was pretty perfect for the the Tom from MySpace effect. But yes, yes, cannot wait. I I, I didn't realize you were gonna go in so quickly with the message, but I'm loving it. Yeah, we gotta, I guess we gotta keep writing messages.
2: I mean, we gotta try this first, you know. So the first thought is if we just go in for it and we just ask him directly, will we say yes? I mean, let's be real probably not. We're probably not going to get a response to our first message attempt. But if we keep putting out content, short form videos, fun facts, uh, I have my video that I'm working on from last week where it's basically telling him that the industry needs him. He's the hero we deserve. All that good stuff. If we can keep putting things out there to get Tom's attention, our thought processes, he'll eventually come on. So this to be a fun thing, that takes a while. But you know, I would be cool with it also if he's just like, sure, I'll come on next week. But I'm being real. I know that probably won't happen, but we're just trying things. That's the message of the making of a marketer is to try things.
3: Yes, exactly. I'm loving it. And to our listeners, if you would like to see Tom from MySpace on the show, please let us know and, and share your support because- Maybe, maybe that would help to capture some attention
2: as well. Definitely share it around. We'll post some more content for you to share too. So create some visibility. Maybe even after what Harrison said today, we could write a newsletter, Mm -hmm. you know, about where in the world is Tom from MySpace, talk about all the facts and figures, talk about how he started it, how he made hundreds of millions of dollars and travels the world now. Like we, we can definitely build something out.
3: Andy, now I'm really thinking of a LinkedIn newsletter. We got to get on it.
2: Yes, I'll ask Chat GPT to write us our first version, <laughs> and we can edit it from there. Uh, but that should get yeah that should get us to the conclusion here. That was a wonderful episode once again today. As always, you can check us out, uh, stream us on Spotify, Apple, Google, all of the major platforms technically speaking the podcast today if you liked our guest Harrison Wheelard, subscribe to him listen to his podcast a excellent program with a lot of great viewpoints but we will continue the podcast we look forward to seeing you on our next episode we're going to transition into a new series soon so stay tuned for the announcement on what that series will be but it'll definitely in my opinion be just as interesting as this one so excited to keep the ball rolling.
3: Yes, me too. What a great show today.
2: Most definitely. But until next time, Jess, it's been fun once again. We'll see you soon on the Making of a Marketer.
3: Sounds good. Thanks, Andy. See ya. You may know you're listening
1: to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Steve Turney hosts a great podcast geared toward mental health
2: marketers called The Boost.
1: or search for The Boost wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Go subscribe. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.